Before we dive into the message today, I always feel a little bad when all the kids leave. Because I know some of the adults are like, it sounds like they're going to have so much fun down there. I just wish I was a kid again. And so we're going to start off today with a cartoon. So I want to invite you to check it out and then we'll bring it back into scripture. The Big Red Tractor and the Little Village. Once upon a time in a little field, in a happy little village, lived a big red tractor. Every morning during plowing season, the village people, no, not those village people, would come out and start the red tractor. Everyone loved the tractor and the powerful noises it would make. They would cheer for the big red tractor because he would help them through plowing season. The people worked together to move the tractor. Half of the villagers would push from behind while the other half would pull. They had been doing it this way for many generations. Some days they moved the tractor 10 feet. Some days they moved it 20. They did this for three whole months every year. Because of their hard work, the villagers always managed to plow the field just in time to plant and just before the rainy season. The rains would come to water the field. Then the sun would come out to make the crops grow. And then the people would come out and harvest all the new crops. It was just enough food to feed the entire village. One day, Farmer Dave was cleaning out his attic. To his surprise, he found an old book tucked beneath his great-grandpa's belongings. It was the owner's manual to the big red tractor. This book told about how the tractor was made and all the great things it could do. Farmer Dave studied the book all night. He was shocked by what he was reading. According to the book, if the big red tractor was running properly, it could plow the whole field in just one day. Early the next morning, Farmer Dave gathered the villagers to tell them the good news. But nobody believed him. There's no way that tractor can move on its own, some said. One lady said, it sounds like you're reading a fairy tale. The people laughed at him. This made Farmer Dave very sad. This didn't stop Farmer Dave from believing what he read. Every night, while the other villagers were asleep, Farmer Dave spent time repairing the big red tractor. One night, Farmer Dave fixed the tractor completely. He jumped on the tractor and had so much fun driving it, he ended up plowing the whole field in one night. The next morning, the villagers woke up and were in shock. The whole field had been plowed. It's a miracle, one man said. Maybe aliens came down, said an old woman. No, look over there, a little boy shouted. It was Farmer Dave sleeping on the tractor. It was then that people shouted, He was right! The tractor book is true! The villagers ended up plowing many fields that year and harvesting way more food than they could ever eat. They had so many leftover boxes of food that they began taking the boxes to other villages where food was scarce. The big red tractor and his little village soon became famous throughout the land. They became known as the most generous and life-giving people in the whole wide world. All right, so two things with that. Number one, the people who made that video have no affiliation 
with Massey or Case. <laughs> Number two, the people who made that video probably have no idea what Massey or Case are. We are talking today about the Holy Spirit. And in the same way that that video talked about the tractor having power to move on its own, we, as Christ followers, have the power of God within us to do so much more than many of us can even imagine. We're going to talk today about the Holy Spirit. Today's kind of an introduction to the Holy Spirit message. And the reason why we're kind of taking some time to talk about the Holy Spirit is because in the next number of weeks we're going to look at the spiritual gifts that Scripture talks about because spiritual gifts are important for being the church. God gives the church gifts so that we can be effective as the church. But before we talk about the gifts, we need to talk about the giver. Some of this may be new to you, some of this may be old hat to you, but we need to make sure we're all kind of on the same, have the same information on the same page before we move ahead too much. Let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear from you, that the words that are spoken would only be from you, and that anything that is is simply from myself would go over our heads and would not stick, but that your word and your truth would remain. Heavenly Father, we invite your Holy Spirit to be working in our hearts and our minds, for it is only your Holy Spirit that we desire to hear from today. Lord, we trust that your Holy Spirit will illuminate the truth found in your scripture. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. So let's start with this. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. He is not an it. He is not a divine influence. He is not a fleecy white cloud. He is not a ghost or a concept. He is not the Jedi force. The Holy Spirit is a person possessing a will, an intellect, and emotions. He is God. With all the attributes of God, He is the third person of the Trinity, co-equal with God the Father and God the Son, is God the Holy Spirit. There is one God, but He manifests Himself in three persons who we call the Trinity. Now, We're not going to go into a whole lot about the Trinity. That would take a lot of time. But let me talk about the Trinity just for a minute. We try to illuminate or illustrate this idea of the Trinity. But when we usually try to do that, our illustrations and our illuminations are completely inadequate. For example, I could say that the Trinity is kind of like a man, body, mind, and spirit. But the question is, which one of those is the man? Well, all of them are the man. That's kind of like the Trinity, but also is flawed. We could talk about water. Water, H2O, comes in liquid or solid or vapor, depending on what the temperature is. Well, which one of them is water? We could talk about myself as I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a son. Which one of those is Brian? And and throughout time, lots of people have tried to say, well, that's kind of like what the Trinity is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The challenge is, is that all of these 
examples, all of our illustrations and metaphors fall short of God. God isn't just one at one time. God isn't just one at one specific instance or for one specific period of time. God is all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. And so if your mind is like, even just frazzled for a minute there, take Paul's example from Romans and be okay with the fact that we don't understand God. Okay? If you understood God completely, you would be probably understanding something that wasn't God. Paul says in Romans 11, Oh, what a wonderful God we have. How great are his wisdom and knowledge and riches. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his methods. For who among us can know the mind of the Lord? Who knows enough to be his counselor or guide? And who could ever offer to the Lord enough to induce him to act? For everything that comes from God alone. Everything lives by his power and everything is for his glory. To him be glory forevermore. So, the Holy Spirit is God. And we need to understand that that the Holy Spirit is not the Jedi force. It is not a feeling. It is the person of God. Second thing that we need to understand is why is the Holy Spirit important? Why, Why did Jesus send us the Holy Spirit? There are a number of reasons why Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit. There's a number of reasons why the Holy Spirit is important in our lives as Christians. We'll talk talk about those at this point. Number one, the Holy Spirit is here to teach and remind us of what Jesus taught. The Holy Spirit is here to teach and remind us of what Jesus taught. Jesus says when he sends his Holy Spirit, in John 14, he says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. And so when we read through Scripture and we get to a passage that we don't completely understand, we can pray and say, Holy Spirit, help me to understand this passage. When we are reading scripture and we're reading about how the disciples didn't understand something that Jesus was teaching, and we now can say, well, but it's so easy because Jesus is talking about our hearts as the soil and his word as the seed. How come the disciples don't get that? It's because the Holy Spirit has illuminated that to us. So that's number one, to teach and remind us of what Jesus taught. Number two. The Holy Spirit produces in us godly character, known as the fruit of the Spirit. Similar to fruit that grows on a tree, what is inside of us, if it is healthy, will produce fruit outside. We have a pear tree in our front yard, and because it is a healthy pear tree, it produces pears. And quite healthy pears. If it wasn't a healthy pear tree, it would produce much less pears or no pears at all. In the same way, the Holy Spirit produces in us godly character. Our godly character is not produced by our own efforts, 
Our godly character is not produced by our own working out our own uh, salvation. Our godly character is produced by the Holy Spirit working on our hearts from the inside. This is what Paul says. This is from Galatians 5. Paul writes this. So I say, walk by the Spirit. In other words, listen to the Spirit, do what the Spirit says. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, then you are not under the law. Now the acts of the flesh, they're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, what is produced in our lives by the Holy Spirit, this is what the fruit of the Spirit is. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And so if we are living with the Holy Spirit in charge in our lives, it will produce this fruit in us. Number three, the Holy Spirit also helps us to give glory to Jesus in our lives. Jesus says in John 16, The Holy Spirit will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. The Holy Spirit never glorifies himself. And so if you ever go anywhere and it seems like the Holy Spirit is trying to take credit for everything, it's probably not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit always gives glory back to Jesus. That's how we should be living our lives. People should look at our lives and say, Jesus is what I see when I look at them. Our lives should be a mirror that reflects Jesus to people. And the Holy Spirit helps us to glorify Jesus. Second last. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts for good works within the church and in the community. The Holy Spirit gives us good works, uh, gifts for good works in the church and in the community, and we're going to look at this in the next number of weeks. But just to whet your appetite, here's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or another you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, 
but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. This is really important. And we'll talk about this again in the next coming months. But when we think about the spiritual gifts that you are given, it's God, the same God, that is working in you, who is working in you, who is working in me. God is not divided. Therefore, his church should not be divided. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes to each one just as he determines. And so the Holy Spirit produces a godly character in our lives. The Holy Spirit reminds us of what Jesus taught. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus in our lives. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts to be used for the good of the church and of the community. The last one we're going to talk about today of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives is this, to remind us whose we are and where we are going. This is from Ephesians 1, Paul's speaking, and he says this, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. You were marked with a seal when you came to Christ. The seal was the promised Holy Spirit. Now, in first century Judea, people would put a seal on something that was being delivered, similar to kind of branding cattle, okay? And the seal would say two things. It would tell people who saw the seal, who did this belong to? Who did this belong to? Similarly, when you brand cattle or when you uh, tag cattle, it tells people, whose is this? The second thing that the seal does, though, is it tells people, where is this going? Who does it belong to and where is it going? It's kind of like the front of an envelope when you send something in the mail. Okay? Whose is it and where is it going? You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit when you have come to Christ. And that Holy Spirit inside of you, God, the third person of the Trinity inside of you, is there to remind you that you belong to Jesus. That you are His. That you were bought with a price and that you now belong to Him. And more so, it reminds you of where you are going. That this life is not the end. That this life that we are living right now is simply temporary. But that we are destined to be with Christ for eternity. So if you have the Holy Spirit in you, then you are Christ's and you will be with him for eternity. You have been sealed with that Holy Spirit. 
That is good news, friend. Which leads us to, to the next question that we have. Who has the Holy Spirit? Again, before we, we move away from Ephesians 1, it tells us who has the Holy Spirit. You were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. When you believed, you were marked with the Holy Spirit. You are given the Holy Spirit as a deposit when you believe in Christ. Paul says this again in 1 Corinthians. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the same one Spirit to drink. Romans 8, 9, Paul says again, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if, indeed, the Spirit of God lives in you. Okay? So you're not part of the realm of the flesh, but you're part of the realm of the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So if you belong to Christ, then you have the Spirit of God in you. Now, there's a couple of things that we need to talk about here that are challenging, and different people have different understandings and beliefs on this. But there's a phrase that's in Scripture called being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And there's a question of where that happens and when that happens. And the idea of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, well, Paul says... For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. So there are a few places in scripture that talk about being baptized by the Holy Spirit. Most of them are when John the Baptist is talking, and he talks about that he baptizes simply with water for repentance. But when Jesus comes, when the Messiah comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so... There are lots of questions about, well, are you baptized with the Holy Spirit at conversion? Or are you baptized after conversion? Is it simultaneous or is it subsequent? And I want to suggest to you that it is simultaneous. That when you come to Christ, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. You get the Holy Spirit, 100% of the Holy Spirit, at conversion. Now, there are a few things that people would look at who would say, no, it is subsequent to conversion. And there are four scriptures that they would look at, Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, and Acts 19. So in Acts 2, it's Pentecost. And the disciples who believed in Jesus before Pentecost had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And the rushing wind comes, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they subsequently are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Acts 8, we see that there are some Samaritans who had believed in Jesus beforehand, but had not received the Holy Spirit. 
And so Paul comes and he lays hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. Again, subsequent to conversion. And then in Acts 10 and Acts 19, we see Gentiles who had not yet received Jesus as their Savior, but were God-fearing people. And they received Jesus as well as the Holy Spirit. Now, with those first two situations, there would be some people who would say, well, this, this shows that it is subsequent to conversion. Disciples believed, then later on they received the Holy Spirit. These Samaritans believed, and they later on received the Holy Spirit. The problem with that is that these scriptures are narrative and not normative. They are telling of how the gospel is coming into the world, into the, into the lives of people, but they are not normative. Throughout Acts, we see a number of times where people believe and immediately receive the Holy Spirit. And when we look at what Paul says in Ephesians, 1 Corinthians, and Romans that we've just read, which I would suggest are normative, not narrative, we see that the Holy Spirit comes on people when they receive salvation. And so baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at conversion. That doesn't mean that people can't have a second experience of the Holy Spirit. And there are many people who have a second experience of the Holy Spirit in their lives. I just think that to call it baptism of the Holy Spirit is to call it the wrong thing. Now, let me just clarify, because we're going to talk about the difference between being baptized with the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. When we talk about what is commanded of us in Scripture... It's never commanded that we be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at conversion. However, Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, he says this, Do not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is the difference between baptism of the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Before we come to Christ... We are dry bones. That's what Ezekiel says. We're dry bones. Kind of like this dry sponge. We're dead. When we come to Christ, we are given the Holy Spirit. We are baptized into the Holy Spirit. What that means is, if you take this water as my Holy Spirit, you are immersed. That's what the word baptism means. You are immersed in the Holy Spirit. Okay, I haven't taken any of the water out. The same amount of water, 100% of the Holy Spirit, is now part of our life. We now have the Holy Spirit in us to guide us and to move in our lives. That's being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Paul says here is, don't just be baptized in the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Spirit. You probably can't see here, but like there's a, there's a bit of a line right here. Can you see it? So the bottom part of the sponge has been saturated with Holy Spirit. The top part has a little bit of Holy Spirit in it. And so Scripture doesn't just say to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, but commands us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
so that it leaks out. <laughs> no, that's not what it says. But to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Again, I didn't add more Holy Spirit here, did I? 100% of the Holy Spirit is available to us at conversion. I didn't add more Holy Spirit. I allowed the Holy Spirit to get in more of the sponge. And that's the difference between baptized with the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit. We are called to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to allow the Holy Spirit to enter every part of our lives, to enter every crevice, every aspect of our lives. I would suggest to you that when people have a second experience of the Holy Spirit in their lives, that they are being filled with the Holy Spirit. The interesting thing in Scripture is that when you look at this text in the actual Greek, the be filled would be better translated as continue to be filled. It is not a one-time deal. You receive the Holy Spirit at conversion once. You don't have to do that anymore. You have the Holy Spirit in you, and it doesn't leak. But... We are called to be filled with the Holy Spirit continually. We are called to continually invite the Holy Spirit to be part of every aspect of our lives. To continue to invite the Holy Spirit to have lordship of every aspect of our lives. Whether it's our minds, our hands, our feet whether it's our finances or our sexuality or our business style, whether it is our families or our our relationships or whatever it is. We all have compartments in our lives. A different example would be to think about our lives as a house. My house is not an open concept house. I have rooms with doors in it. Yours probably does too. And sometimes what happens as Christians is that we say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life, except for the basement. Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life, except for my counting room. I don't think most of us have counting rooms. But, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life, except for my wallet. That part I want to do on my own strength. Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life, except for this relationship that I'm in that I know isn't what you want, but I'm having a whole lot of fun in it. Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life, but whenever we allow God to be Lord except for, then he's not Lord. Jesus needs to be Lord of all of us. And if you are feeling like you are missing out on something, I need to tell you, you have the Holy Spirit in you. If you have come to Christ and you have surrendered your life to him, you have the Holy Spirit in you. The problem is, is that we can take parts of our lives back. And we can put up a do not enter sign in our life and say, "Yeah, Jesus, I don't really want you coming to work with me today. Jesus, I don't really want you to be part of this decision that I'm going to make. And when we do that, 
When we compartmentalize our lives and we take the Holy Spirit out of that part of our lives, it's not like we take a third of the Holy Spirit out. We take the Holy Spirit out of that part of our lives. That life is no longer going to be blessed. That part of your life no longer will be blessed because God's not in control of it. And those people that I know who have surrendered their lives to God, who have said, I want God to have control of every part of my life, they receive a blessing that is incredible. They are empowered to do amazing things. Many people that you would say, well, they're just an incredible teacher or pastor or preacher. They seem to have an ability to do miracles or to, you know, when they pray for someone, things happen. That's because they're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's because they have allowed the Spirit of God to be part of every part of their life. And that's not a one-time decision. That is a daily decision. And so... In that way, you can have a second experience of the Holy Spirit, and a third experience, and a fourth experience, and a fifth experience of the Holy Spirit. And I hope that each and every one of us would be so thirsty for the Holy Spirit that we would have continual experiences of the Holy Spirit filling our lives. So that we can do amazing things for God. And when God has control of your life, He will do amazing things for his sake. Romans 12, 1 to 2. Paul says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We are called to be living sacrifices, to daily, hourly, every minute, to surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit. The problem with living sacrifices, many of you know this, we can crawl off the altar at any time. Unfortunately, some of us do. But we need to continue to crawl back onto the altar and to say, God, Take every part of me. A couple warnings and then we're going to wrap up here. Number one, we need to be confident of the Holy Spirit in us. That if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and maybe there are people who have not here yet, but if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Not a quarter of the Holy Spirit, not half the Holy Spirit, not a fraction of the Holy Spirit. You have 100% of the Holy Spirit in you and wanting to do amazing things through you. If you have not invited Jesus to be Lord of your life, then today is the best day for you to do that. Number two, we need to be careful of two tiered Christianity, of two tiered Christianity. Two-tiered Christianity happens when people say, well, there are some Christians who have the Holy Spirit in them, and there are some Christians who don't have the Holy Spirit in them. 
Or there are some Christians who only have a little bit of the Holy Spirit in them, and there are some Christians who have all of the Holy Spirit in them. There's a tier system there. That's not what we see in Scripture. Again, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not that you get more of the Holy Spirit. It's that the Holy Spirit gets more of you. Number three, if you know people who have had a second experience of the Holy Spirit, and they may call that a number of different things. There are lots of different terminologies out there depending on who who the teacher or preacher was. Recognize that there's a blessing there, that that is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Usually, people who will talk about, you know, that you need the Holy Spirit in your life, they'll, they'll tell you to do this. They'll say, number one, you need to repent of any sin that is in your life. Any sin that comes to your mind that is in your life, just repent of that and turn your entire life over to Jesus, surrendering every aspect of your life to him and trusting that he will fill you with his Holy Spirit. And then go out looking for ways that God may want to use you. And there's nothing magical about that. There is nothing special about that. That's what we should be doing every day. Always saying, God, is there sin in my life that I haven't asked you to forgive? Is there any part of my life that I haven't allowed you to be Lord of? Is there anything that is hindering me from following you? And I just surrender that once more to you. And I'm going to go out boldly expecting you to move in my life. When you do that, of course amazing things are going to happen. You should be expecting God to do amazing things in your life every day if you are surrendered to him. And so know that those who have experienced the Holy Spirit doing amazing things in their life, that should be normative, not once in a while. That should be normative in our lives. And the fact that it is not in your life is a problem. It is a problem. It means that there is something in your life that you are not allowing God to have access to. It's meaning that there is some compartment in your life that is not surrendered to God. And if that is the case, then we can fix that today. And I hope that you do. There's a story I was a group of people who were going to have a real revival in their town. And they started saying, you know, we should get Billy Graham here. We should get Billy Graham here. Yeah, and everybody was like, yeah, we should get Billy Graham here. And one guy kind of stood up at the back and said, why do we need Billy Graham? Like, Billy Graham doesn't have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. And a wise man, probably with gray hair, stood up and he said, young man, you're absolutely right. Billy Graham doesn't have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Billy Graham. That's why we need him here. Friends, I want to invite you today. We're going to take some time to pray. And I want to invite you, just in the quiet of your heart, to ask God to bring to your mind any part of your life that is not surrendered to him. Maybe that's your entire life. Maybe you're you're sitting here going, this just sounds really weird and wonky. 
I want to be in control of my life. You're allowed to. You're allowed to be in control of your life. God gives us that freedom. But if you choose to be in control of your life, then God cannot do what he wants to do in your life. And the amazing things that he has planned for your life will not happen as long as you are the one in the driver's seat. As long as you are the one who's trying to push the tractor. So I want to invite you, whether you have accepted Jesus in your life 50 years ago or not yet, to take some time and to ask God to sift through your heart and to bring up any part of your life that you're holding on too tightly to. Maybe that's your family. Maybe that's your money. Maybe that's future worries. Maybe that's job. Maybe that's the crops. Maybe it's a hundred things. And I want to invite you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to release that to God today. I'm going to invite you just now, for a few minutes, just in the quiet of your heart, to ask God what it is that you're holding on to. And I want you to do something. I want you to, if, if you're willing to, just put out your hands. You can put them out on your lap so no one sees. That's fine. Just put them up and put them up open. And as you're praying, and as the Holy Spirit brings to your mind the things that you are holding on to, just picture them being held in your hands. Picture them being held in your hands. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, some of our hands are pretty full right now with things that we are holding on too tightly of, with things that we have not allowed you to be Lord of in our lives. And Lord, you know exactly what's in our hands. And you know the, the reasons and the excuses that we have, have used to hold on to them, to not trust you with them. But today, God, we, we recognize that us holding on to them is a problem. That when things are in our hands, it means that they're not in yours. And so, Lord, we take that step of faith to trust that you are good, that you are loving, and that the things that are in our hands are so much better in your hands. And so, Father, we invite you to receive these things, these Areas of our lives, these people in our lives, maybe our whole lives. And we surrender them to you. And Lord, we just surrender every part of us to you. And as, as you do that, friends, I just want to invite you to lift your hands up and to, to kind of empty them out. So that you can't hold them anymore. And trust that God's hands are there to catch whatever it is that you've just released to him. Lord Jesus, we release them into your care. We release those parts and aspects of our lives into your care, and we invite you to be Lord of every aspect of us. Lord Jesus, we we ask that you would cleanse us by the power of your Holy Spirit, forgive us for our sins, and allow us to live 100% for you, no holding back. No holding back. And we invite your Holy Spirit to be part Lord 
of every crevice of our lives, every aspect of our day. Thank you, Lord. We say thank you, Lord, because you are our Lord, the one we worship and obey. And we will go out expecting you to do amazing things in our lives. And Father, help us not to crawl off that altar, but to surrender ourselves each and every day to you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.